I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Have you ever watched an apocalyptic sci-fi movie and wondered, could any of this really happen? I'm Carrie Bechet, and on Hypothetical, we explore what-if questions two ways, through speculative science fiction and through insight from the world's most brilliant scientists. And spoiler alert, your favorite sci-fi movies aren't nearly as far-fetched as you may think. Time travel with me into our possible futures on Hypothetical. New episodes every Tuesday available on all podcast apps. That's Hypothetical, H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L. I'm Chanti. And I'm Lynx. And you're listening to Muses. Enjoy the show. Hello there, Shanti. Hi, Lynx. How's it going? It's going great. It's a beautiful, sunny Saturday, and I just finished Ellen's movement class. Uh, I love Ellen's classes. She really has helped me so much this winter. Yeah, and I'm always so tired, it feels like, for no reason, and I find it's, like, either go for a nap, and sometimes I do, or, like, put on one of Ellen's videos, and then I feel super energized. So it's a great thing to do before we sit down and record an episode, because I like to sit and just listen and try to listen intently, but it kind of calms my busy mind, my busy hands, all that kind of stuff. Amazing. And... Today's been pretty fun because we've been getting photos of all the amazing merch that people have been buying. Yeah, for sure. So last week, things like mugs and pillows started arriving for people, which is great. I got myself a mug and I got my mom a pillow. Actually, I got my, what are they called? in-laws or like to be my my soon-ish to be in-laws a mug as well so I sent that off to them and t-shirts are starting to arrive today and they look incredible and from what we're hearing they fit perfectly the material is fantastic and I'm so excited for this yeah, the material is nice, the fit is good, and then they're saying that the logos, and I've seen now two shirts with the two different logos, logos, and both people have said that the logo is high quality. 
Ah, fantastic. So please, if you want to help support us and look really good doing it, (laughs) go and check that out. We'll put that in our show notes so that you guys can have the link there. Yeah, a friend of ours received her mask. And then I saw this morning that someone has placed an order for two crew neck sweatshirts. So that's like, it seems like almost every single thing. Oh, somebody bought stickers. I bought stickers, but somebody else bought stickers too. So it seems like pretty much everything has been bought so far. Uh, My friend Louisa told me that she got a tank top and a notebook. So yeah, there's so much to choose from there too. That's what's so great about this site. The only thing that we don't have available is Muse's undies. And, uh, but maybe we can make that happen. <laughs> that would Sometime. be amazing. Yeah. I would love it. I would love a big Muse's logo on my butt. <laughs> yeah, that's going to happen in the future for sure. For sure. Well, I have been looking forward to doing this one for a few months. It's just been a whirlwind over here. So I finally had a week where I could sit down and read Valerie Bertinelli's book and write it all out. And I'm really pumped to be telling her story. Now, who is Valerie Bertinelli? Who is she associated with? None other than Eddie Van Halen. (laughs) All right. Valerie's had such an incredible career herself. So this is a great story. I did want to mention beforehand, though, that a lot of her story, her book is called Losing It, her first memoir, and body weight, body dysmorphia is something that she's definitely dealt with all her life, and I will be talking about that a little bit, so I just wanted to put that out there beforehand in case someone might not want to listen to this for that reason. Okay, thank you so much for that. So Valerie was born April 23rd, 1960. She had three brothers. Her dad worked at General Motors, and her mom was basically focused on the kids. She describes her early childhood as very pleasant and happy. She was good in school. She made friends easily. They had a big extended family that they were really close with. When she was eight, her family moved from Delaware to Detroit for her dad's job. That's something they would do quite often. They were only there three years before another big move happened, this time to L.A. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So shortly after moving to L.A., Valerie befriended a girl who was doing commercial acting. And it really blew Valerie's mind that ordinary or, you know, a.k.a. not famous people could be on TV. Hmm. All she knew of Hollywood was, you know, what she had seen on TV growing up. And it never really seemed like a real or attainable thing to her so it really fascinated her and she really just kept nagging at her parents to take acting classes until eventually they did give in (laughs) so she starts taking these classes she actually hated them but she was so determined to be on tv that she persisted so after six months she began auditions and got something right away but it took almost a hundred auditions over the next year for her to get another. And of course, that kind of rejection, especially that early, did affect her. For sure. She's a beautiful woman. She's got dark hair, great features, but that's not necessarily the California look either, right? So I suppose so. Yeah. She had a hard time not taking it personally. And when she says that puberty hit, that's, you know all the usual insecurities came out and that's when her weight sort of became on her radar. Probably like for most of us. Yep. Wait, how old? Puberty. Uh, puberty. Yeah, for sure. For sure. 12, 13. Yeah. Yeah. 
So she does recall a time when a teacher of hers walked up to her, patted her on the stomach and said, you better watch this. Ooh. Yeah. How about you stay in your lane? Yeah. Yeah. So obviously that was upsetting to her. And she really says that is what triggered something in her. And after that, she only saw the negative in herself. Of course. Valerie shares specific stories about this. But I'm not going to add them all. I feel like all of us have the same stories. You know, we all have had those moments. Yeah. So even with all the rejection, Valerie did finally realize she did like acting. She just didn't like the classes at the time. And that acting was really something she did want to focus on. So her mom and her acting coach kept telling her, like, you can't take it personally. It's about who fits the role. And finally, that sort of clicked in with her. And she had a new attitude, a new attitude and a newfound focus on making her career happen acting wise. Right on. Yeah. I took an acting class when I was probably around that same age, maybe 11 years old. And they ended up choosing... For the characters, it was for, we, we ended up doing a Romeo and Juliet play for like the end of the season. And the reason why the characters got cast was because they were the same height. Mm. <laughs> and I was so mad that I was like, wait, so this isn't based on like merit or yeah, who? Because I had a very strong sense of that when I was young. Yeah. So I never took a class again. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> I also took acting classes as a kid, and I loved it. I was so shy and insecure, but when I was acting, I could get out of that. And I did that, like, all my life, basically. Oh, I didn't know that about you. Yeah. I really didn't. I've been in, like, a whole bunch of plays and stuff. We can talk about that another time. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So Valerie began snagging many commercials, and by the end of 1974, she landed a guest spot on a TV episode for a show called Apple's Way. This was going to be a lesson, a learning lesson for her. It turned out that she thought she had been cast for a certain role, but she'd actually been hired for another. So when she came in, she knew the lines of this one character, but not hers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thankfully, she says the show's executive producer was very understanding with her, and he even wrote her a letter after reminding her that everyone makes mistakes and, like, wishing her luck in the future. So it was really nice to hear a positive story about someone in Hollywood. Yep. Uh, Yep, I agree. Yeah. She did manage to get the lines down and do the part at the end of the day, so no harm was done. When she was 15, an amazing opportunity came her way. She was going to audition for a Norman Lear show. Norman Lear did shows like All in the Family, Sanford and Sons, Good Times, The Jeffersons. So he really knew how to make a hit. Okay. They almost had completed casting by then, but they were reworking the show to add another character, another kid to the show. And she looked the part. She auditioned with several hundred others, but she eventually nabbed the role that would launch her career, which was Barbara Cooper on One Day at a Time. Oh, I've heard of that show. Yeah. I've never seen it, but I've heard of it. Yeah, that's not really often on reruns, at least in Canada. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So within a few days of getting the part, she was already on set. Since she was underage, her mom would drive her to the set every day, and that continued for the next three years. There's a nice moment from shooting the pilot that I wanted to read. She says, 
On the night we taped the pilot in front of an audience, I experienced the same comfortable, slightly nervous feeling I had auditioning for Norman. It was like stepping into a deja vu moment. Everything felt as if it was supposed to, and I was able to give myself freely and fully to the moment. As a result, I enjoyed one of the most powerful experiences of my life. The whole thing was too much, and yet somehow I kept it in perspective. I don't know how that was possible, except that everything seemed to be falling in place as if it was meant to be. I keep saying that, but it's true. I knew the show would be a hit. People with more experience said the same thing. That feeling was in the air. There was a vibe on the stage that started the first day of rehearsals and continued into the pilot. Right before stepping on stage, I took one last calming breath, as I'd been trained to do, and said to myself, get ready, this is going to change your life. Mm -hmm. She was right. Of course, not all the times on set were magical. Uh, It turned out to be a lot more work than she anticipated. They shoot the show two times with a live audience, and then when the audience leaves, they would do reshoots and pickups. She had three hours of on-set tutoring every day. She does mention working with some directors who were not so kind at times, but for the most part, she got along with everyone on set. The woman who played her sister in the show was Mackenzie Phillips, John Phillips from The Mamas and the Papas. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, she was quite intimidated by Mackenzie because Mackenzie had already kind of been a little bit of a star and everyone knew about her rock and roll past by then. So... She was intimidated and, like, really wanted to be her friend. But luckily, that didn't take too long. Soon they were hanging out with each other. She would party at Mac's house all the time. One of the first perks that Valerie ever got working on the show was when a producer found out that she was a huge Elton John fan. Ooh. Yes. Actually, everyone knew. She was a very massive, outgoing Elton John fan. (laughs) Okay. She would make, you know, her own T-shirts. She loved him. Okay, I love it. Yeah. So she was obsessed, and this producer brought her to a VIP only gig that Elton played at the Troubadour. Very small venue, very cool. Mm -hmm. And they actually wrote her obsession of Elton John into the show. And in one of the episodes, she dresses up and sings one of his songs. And Elton John actually sent her an autograph photo that read, You look more like me than I do. Love, Elton. Oh, I love that. (laughs) I never got that message from him when i played elton john in a <laughs> very famous instagram no, it's not famous at all i'm just kidding instagram reel that i created but there's still time there's still time. I, I will hold my breath <laughs> <laughs> so the show aired and was an instant success from the beginning but valerie says even though she did have that instant fame her family and herself worked so hard to keep that away from her. She says she really had no idea that guys were like crushing on her and girls were doing their hair to match hers. She was just so work focused. And that Hmm. continued throughout her whole life. She was never really touched by the fame aspect. She always managed to keep her head on. It was like she was in a protective bubble. Okay, cool. Good for her. Yeah. She was a pubescent teen, of course, and she was beginning (laughs) to crush on boys. She shares her first terrible experience with a guy Mm. apparently she really liked him i think he turned her down like he didn't want to date her but then they were hanging out in his car and he unzipped his pants and pushed her head in his lap hate it yeah thankfully she got away before anything worse even happened 
when one day at a time went on hiatus, she went back to her high school. She met another boy named Ron. Valerie talks about visiting her TV mom on one day at a time. Her name was Bonnie Franklin. She lived in New York. So when they were on hiatus, she actually went to New York for a while and stayed with Bonnie. And really, she kind of was like a second mother to her. Mm. She, yeah, she really didn't share her own feelings with her family members or her mom or anything. So Bonnie was a good sounding board and she talked about contemplating sleeping with her boyfriend, but didn't know anything about sex because no one had taught her anything. So she says that Bonnie really was the one who had that conversation with her and told her like what to expect. And of course told her, you know, just make sure you're ready type of thing. And Oh, it's great to have someone like that, especially back in those days where, yeah, you can't just like go to your mom. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, not everybody can even nowadays go go to their parents. Um, I know true. my mom had her older sister to go to, and I was lucky enough to be able to talk to my mom about anything. But good. That's great. Yeah. And of course, they didn't have the Internet or anything back then. So doing your own kind of research is also <laughs> not uh, necessarily open. That's right. So, yeah, Bonnie told her, you know, just make sure it's the right time for you. But of course, like most horny teenagers, <laughs> it doesn't really happen in some beautiful romantic way. And hers happened in the backseat at a drive-in. Classic teenager. Sure. <laughs> she ended up splitting up with him to focus on season two of One Day at a Time. This is when Valerie first mentions her weight publicly in an interview. Hmm. She said, Let's face it, I have a very bad weight problem. When I stand next to Mackenzie, I look like a tub of lard. Aww. She says that no one ever contradicted her when she mentioned her weight, and her self-consciousness and insecurities were just out of control at this point. She would look at Mackenzie, who wore a size 26 and was just so envious of her. Valerie's jeans were a 30. She's 110 pounds. She's 16 years old, obviously gorgeous, but... She, she doesn't see what, you know, the world sees. Right. Yeah. So she went to her brother and asked about diet pills, and he gave her black beauties. She was trying to diet, but it wasn't working. But, of course, the pills did the trick. She lost a bunch of weight, but it affected her body badly, and she realized that's not something she could continue to do. It didn't help the fact that in one episode that season – it revolved around her character feeling unhappy about her appearance. Mm. And she says like shooting that was very uncomfortable for her because her, her character kind of like dresses up flashier to be more appealing to boys and everything. And, you know, that was something that was hitting her own insecurities. Absolutely. Boys were coming on set though. And her and Mac always had crushes. She talks about Mark Hamill coming on. He just shot star Wars and he gave her a publicity still of it. Oh, both Mac and Valerie had a crush on Mark, I think. And what Valerie did was she blew up the publicity still to poster size to give him as a gift. But then she chickened out and she didn't do it. <laughs> she said they would hang out for a while as friends. But after Star Wars came out, she never saw him again. Mm -hmm. Teen magazines would link her to all the heartthrobs of the time, but none were true. She briefly dated a man named Bo Donaldson, who was an actor, and Paul Schaefer, who, if that name sounds familiar, but you can't remember, he's best known as David Letterman's band leader. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. I think he's Canadian, too. So hello, hmm. Paul. Uh, they just went out on a few dates. Nothing major. 
she says that that ended when they went out on a new on new year's together and he ended up calling his girlfriend on their date (laughs) (laughs) not a good move yeah then a man named scott columbie guest starred on one day at a time and the two began dating she says someone asked her to describe her relationship with scott and she says i spent a lot of time in his bed hot you know we all have that first lustful relationship and i guess this was hers we sure do you can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything you might shop while working eating or even listening to this podcast and however you shop we all know and love the thrill of the hunt but do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals because rakuten shoppers do with rakuten they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back and you can get it too start getting cash back at your favorite stores like sephora nike and even expedia if you're looking to get some travel in And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Do you like science fiction? I'm Carrie Bechet, and if you loved movies like Arrival or Interstellar, then you're going to want to check out my podcast, Hypothetical. On Hypothetical, we tell speculative sci-fi stories interwoven with real science. New episodes every Tuesday, available wherever you get podcasts. Like any teenager, Valerie kept a diary. She gushed about Scott in it. And all the normal teenage things she was doing at the time. She was, you know, going to Mackenzie's house, partying with people, drinking, having a joint here and there. But she was still very much in control in that regards. Something terrible happened with that diary, though. Her mom found it and read it. Mama, no. Mama, no, right? Mama, no. Yeah. So this is interesting because we've already mentioned like with the sex stuff, Valerie really stresses in her book how much she wishes her mother could have communicated with her better over the years. But that's just not the way their relationship was. Sure. Her mother read, obviously, in the diary that she had been having sex and her mother was 17 when she first got pregnant, but didn't have it in her to communicate about that stuff with her. Mm. She says it took years until she was pregnant herself for them to kind of begin to speak more openly about things Mm -hmm. she also mentions in the book that she had an older brother who passed away at 18 months and no one ever told her about it until she was much older like that's how much they didn't communicate yeah so there was tension for a time with her family but she just focused on her work and that hiatus she went to england to film a tv special and she ended up cheating on her boyfriend scott she told him and they tried to repair things for a while she began working on season three. She's now 18 years old. She's still so young. Wow. Her mom and dad moved because of her dad's job, this time to Louisiana. So she bought her own house and her younger brother lived with her. Cool. Yeah. She nabbed her first starring role in a TV movie called Young Love, First Love alongside Timothy Hutton. Her boyfriend Scott was also getting roles. He got a part in Caddyshack and hit it off with an actress on set. So they split up and this was the first relationship that she had where it was like a real thing. Like they loved each other. 
or cared deeply and it was her first heartbreak I guess things on the show are changing Uh, Mackenzie Phillips was fired because of her personal issues with substance abuse Mm -hmm. and Valerie remembers it being rough for her but Mackenzie went into rehab to deal with those and a few seasons later she did rejoin the cast for a while so Mackenzie's just off dealing with her own issues Valerie slowly got back into dating she went out with Dirk Benedict from Battlestar Galactica she auditioned for Spielberg for a part in Indiana Jones. She didn't get it, but she did get Spielberg's interest. He sent her flowers. I've actually read multiple stories about Spielberg and De Palma and a lot of the male directors of that time using auditions as a way to get dates, which is super gross. Yeah, yeah. but not surprising, right? Exactly. It was like a casting call for them for dates. And they Ugh. would brag about it, too. Yeah. Yep. She did date Spielberg for a while. She talks about feeling out of place in his crowd, though. Yeah. So it's 1980. Valerie's on hiatus because of a writer's strike. And her two brothers ask her for help in getting backstage passes to a Van Halen show that they were playing up in Louisiana where her parents lived. All right. Here we go. Yeah. This radio station was sponsoring the show and said that her and her brothers or said that her brothers could get in if Valerie came down, went backstage at the end of the show and handed the band (laughs) M&Ms. She said, "Okay." apparently Van Halen had it in their rider that a bowl of M&Ms had to be in their dressing room and that all the brown M&Ms had to be removed. They put this in the safety portion of their contract as a way to make sure promoters actually read the fine print in their contracts. So they would know. Okay. That's where the M&M thing comes from. Okay. Good to know. Hey, okay. So you mentioned um, Michelle Phillips, right? Mm-hmm. So then also must be related to Bijou Phillips. Yep. Who years later would go on to act and stuff. And I only found this out while watching all of the almost famous, you know, 20 year reunion stuff that actually Bijou Phillips got kicked off that set. Yeah. For inappropriate behavior. Yeah. With... um. And she's married to Danny Masterson, and all you have to do is look up him to see what's going on there. Yeah. yeah. She's also a sister of China Phillips, who was in Wilson Phillips. Oh, right. Man, lots yeah. of Phillips out there. Yeah, lots of Phillips. That's a whole episode is just the Phillips family. We should, honestly, yeah. They're, they're certainly, they're, that's probably a two-parter, actually. Yeah. <laughs> There's sure. a lot of information there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so her brothers were obsessed with Van Halen. They were like, get the albums. They're so good. My brothers are also obsessed with Van Halen. Yeah. My dad was growing up or not growing up. My dad was when I was growing up. So I listened to a lot of Van Halen in the 80s. And yeah, all the dudes love them. Yep. So yeah, she got the records. She noticed how cute the guitarist was. And she flies down and... They're backstage. The photographers are ready to capture the moment. And two members come out, not Eddie or Dave, the other two. I'm sorry, I forgot their names. Alex? Alex? Yeah, let's let's say Alex. (laughs) (laughs) So Dave and Eddie were busy prepping for the show. But she did actually see Eddie sneak a peek into the room. And she says their eyes caught. He pointed, smiled, waved, and disappeared. Hmm. So she watched the show side stage, Eddie's side, and he would smile at her every time he walked over to pick up another one of his guitars. Cute. Yeah. After the show, Valerie and her brothers met Dave and Eddie, who invited her back to their hotel. 
So her and Eddie spent the night getting to know each other, and she gave him her phone number. And three days later, an excruciating three days later, (laughs) he called and asked her if she wanted to come to Oklahoma for a festival they were playing. So she got on a plane and she went. Mm -hmm, Why not? Right? They had a great time. And even though she would have and wanted to sleep with him, they didn't. Eddie even got her her own room. Gentlemen. Right? He told her that he wanted to get to know her first, and that really made her feel good. Over the tour, she joined them multiple times. Eddie was just getting over a serious relationship where his girlfriend had cheated on him, so taking it slow was important for both of them. After over a month of them really getting to know each other and sharing things, Eddie told her that he loved her, and she told him that she loved him, and in Valerie's words... We ended up in bed making love as if we were starving for each other. (laughs) They were. I felt like I never wanted to let him go. But it was more than sex. It was as if by finally sleeping together, we were taking an oath whose words we'd already spoken. Okay. So Valerie went back to work completely smitten. And of course, it was noticeable. The press caught on pretty quick as well. She says random girls would knock on her door when Ben Halen was around asking for Eddie. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's also an incident where a groupie broke into their house when they were living together. (laughs) The girls love Eddie. Yeah. It didn't take long before they actually began discussing marriage. One day they went to a, uh, a jewelry store and she saw this ring that she loved and she said Eddie was like yeah we'll think about it and left it there but that night before bed he pulled it out and asked her to marry him right after he proposed the doorbell rang and it was a co-worker dropping off a script for Valerie and he told them that John Lennon had just been shot oh yeah very memorable engagement day I'd say so yeah that January Valerie won a Golden Globe for best supporting actress in a comedy and her career was really thriving When she wasn't working on One Day at a Time, she was working on TV movies. Eddie was also very busy touring and then working on material for his next album. She talks a lot about Eddie living the rock star party life and how she would really try to keep up and fit into that world. But she was kind of like a morning person. He was a night one. I hear that, sister. Yeah. So this was an issue pretty much from the get-go. That didn't stop them from planning the wedding just four months after knowing each other. She says, we should have still been getting to know each other instead of debating invitations, flowers, caterers, and guest lists. But, you know, they both felt the stress, but they were tunnel vision on their love. She says that Eddie wrote the song Sunday Afternoon in the Park while stressed out, and they were, like, bickering over the wedding and... It sounds like everything that could go wrong did. It's also Mm -hmm. interesting to note how much Valerie discusses Eddie and David Lee Roth's relationship. Oh. It sounds like Roth was always supremely jealous of Eddie because Eddie got so much praise for being, you know, an incredible guitarist. And David actually turned down Eddie when he asked him to be a groomsman. And Mm -hmm. that really hurt him. Mm -hmm. They were married April 11th, 1981. She says they spent $35,000 on their wedding at, by the end. Like, it was a big thing. She says, our wedding night? Well, it wasn't one of our best, but it was typical. I passed out on the bed in my gown, and Ed fell asleep in the bathroom. <laughs> so almost right away, their main issue in their relationship became not enough time focused on each other. And when it did, 
it was always drugs and alcohol and partying. They really tried to make their schedules work. They tried to not be apart for more than two or three weeks. She would go on tour when she could. She talks about when Van Halen played their biggest gig at Madison Square Garden. She was in a hotel room and a girl named Christy Brinkley called looking for Ed. I know her. (laughs) Valerie says, for some reason, I didn't worry about Ed and groupies or infidelity. Not like I would years later. Ed put my concerns to rest every time. I heard him tell someone that getting married was the best thing he'd done, and he'd say it frequently. Don't get me wrong, though. The groupies still drove me crazy. I was infuriated by the way that they threw themselves at these guys, knowing that they were married or in relationships. Mm. So I get that. I get that. But, you know, Eddie. (laughs) At the time, Eddie was not happy at all with the way things were in Van Halen. Dave and the producer are pushing for covers. He wanted to do original material. He was really coping with drugs and alcohol. Valerie actually says, I resented them and especially Dave for making Ed so unhappy, which in turn made my life unhappy. And Valerie's dealing with her own issues. She would get a part around then where she had to wear a swimsuit. And she said she did like a ton of cocaine to lose all this weight and went down to 98 pounds. No. Yeah. Yeah, and she says, like, even still, she thought she was fat. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, It's just, oh. Ed noticed, of course, and helped her put some weight back on. So over the next two years, it's a lot of the same issues. Scheduling different lifestyles under one roof, you know, but they were still in love, still trying to make it work. They were doing well financially, Eddie and Van Halen just performed a gig for $1 million, which at the time was the biggest sum for any one performance by a band. Oh. Yeah. They bought a beach house in Malibu. They built a house together. So they were doing good on that side. Valerie began her last season. After nine years, the network decided it was enough. Yeah, that's that's a decent amount of time. Yeah. It was sad, but also important to move on. Ed was still doing a lot of partying. Valerie tried to get back into that pattern to be with him, but of course it was becoming difficult on both of them. Ed was really feeling the effects of it physically, especially on tour, and she would try to help him cut back. But as she said, I knew when I was whipped. I couldn't compete for Ed against the more alluring combination of music, booze, and cocaine. Mm -hmm. Valerie was still trying to make her way into films she auditioned for a ton of roles that she didn't get like the big chill footloose the sure thing adventures in babysitting she said she realized after being told by a casting agent that she gave off a very angry disposition instead of a bright one and it really made her reevaluate her personal life and realize wait a minute i am unhappy i am angry oh yeah so five years into their marriage they were repeating the same cycles things weren't getting better then entered patty Smythe, and she was a pop singer at the time valerie was a fan they went to see her and they met and they all became friends so valerie's working a ton at this time and it was a bad time because dave decided he was going to leave van halen mm-hmm. so eddie was really upset he didn't know what to do ed suggests maybe patty should join and be the singer of the band and she says that Ed had also started comparing Valerie to Patty, like her hair and makeup wise. So Uh-oh. she was feeling like, yeah, super insecure. She was like, obviously, there's an attraction here. And instead of addressing it in a healthy way, she ended up getting a crush on someone else and she cheated on Ed. Okay. 
She says she, you know, she wanted to feel desired again. She immediately regretted it, of course. She did not tell Ed. Instead, she used food as a way to cope with her pain and guilt. And Ed was using booze as a way to deal with his issues. Apparently, Ed and Patty never did have a sexual relationship. She learned later on that Patty was actually a good friend and was trying to help Ed with his alcohol issues. Things were doing better in Van Halen after they hired Sammy Hagar in Dave's place. She says he had stability to him. He was a family guy. The atmosphere was brighter. And her and Eddie decide that they want to try for a child. Their first try for a child, she ended up having a miscarriage. And because it was just after dealing with her adultery and everything, she blamed herself. Mm. And the affair and the guilt and the depression, like all of that came with that. Right. Like this must be my punishment. She also mentions a dad dying and the doctor blaming his alcohol use. And that made her worry even more about Ed, of course. And that led to so many arguments because she was constantly trying to get him to clean up and be healthy and he wasn't ready yet. So they were really fighting. They had their first official split. That only lasted three weeks, though. She (laughs) insisted he get rid of his Coke dealer and quit drinking. She put together an intervention with Ed's closest friends and they did convince him to go to rehab. He went for 30 days. He came home. He stayed sober a few months, but then he relapsed again. She mentions two trips that they took together around this time that were really wonderful and healthy for them, though. So this is when Ed was working and then released OU812. So Van Halen were kicking butt. Valerie's getting roll after roll. And I have a funny story here that I wanted to mention because Valerie's just killing it. And guess who she catches the eye of? Um, Give me a hint. An actor that every woman has caught his eye. Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty. You got it. (laughs) (laughs) So Warren Beatty asks her to meet at his house for or a possible role in his new film, Dick Tracy. So she goes to his place. He's all charming and flirting. He tells her she has beautiful teeth. She's (laughs) like, okay, thanks. And then he talks about working with Dustin Hoffman on Ishtar. And he says that when he was on set with Dustin, they asked each other what beautiful woman they would have sex with. If they could. And Warren says, isn't it funny that your name came up on both lists? (laughs) (laughs) What a compliment. Wow. That's what Valerie said. She said like half of her was like, well, thanks for the compliment, but you're clearly full of shit. (laughs) (laughs) It's exactly what I thought. Yes. She says a few hours later, nothing sorted had happened and she left knowing that she didn't get the part. Mm Mm-hmm. There's a second part to this story where years later, she ran into Warren Beatty and his then new wife, Annette Benning at a fundraiser for Bill Clinton. And she says that Warren came up to her before introducing her, her to Annette and whispered, don't say anything. <laughs> Fuck off. Right. Warren Beatty. <laughs> Which, of course, really threw her off because, I mean, nothing happened to begin with. But even like so, like what? So she goes up to Annette and says, I'm a huge fan and I didn't sleep with your husband. (laughs) (laughs) She says Annette's expression changed and it was as if she was asking which crack pipe I smoked. Oh, man. (laughs) So just a fun story that I had to add in. 
Valerie and Ed were on the same cycle, of course, good times, bad times, busy times. Throughout, Valerie is battling her body image issues. She would go up and down like any normal woman. Oh, and see, the thing is, is that, like, she, as much as we're, like, yeah, her weight issues, it's, like, they weren't hers. Those were projected onto her. You know exactly. what I mean? Like, exactly. So unfair. So ridiculous. And that's the thing, yeah. They're not issues. It's just her believing it's an issue type of thing because yeah. of everything. And- Definitely at that time, too. And sometimes, like, I look back at, like, women in Hollywood and stuff in, like, the 70s and 80s. And I'm like, man, they really were thin. And I'm like, but also cocaine is a hell of a drug. Oh, God, yes. So the weeks before she would film a new TV special or movie, she would diet and exercise and go Mm -hmm. nuts and get really in shape. And then on the off period, she would gain a few and stress out about that. So, like, that was her cycle continuing. And, of course, Ed Cycles was drinking. Sometimes he was not so bad. Other times he was terrible. And on New Year's Eve in 1989, they were spending it with her parents. And Ed actually got so drunk that Valerie grabbed the keys to hide them from him so he wouldn't be able to drive. And she says that Ed kind of, like, went after her a little bit. Like, not necessarily to hit her, but, like... He he got scary, and Valerie's dad actually punched Ed in the face and Ooh. cracked his jawbone. Mm-hmm. Or his cheekbone, sorry. So the next day, thankfully, Ed realized this was a huge problem, and he checked himself into a hospital for 28 days. And soon after that, Valerie signed up for Overeaters Anonymous. Oh. And this really tells you, she was 123 pounds when she did this. Oh. Yeah. She says, looking back, it's so transparent. I really wanted help controlling my life, not my weight. There you go. Okay, yeah. They did both seem to benefit from, you know, trying to gain some control. And by the spring, they were pretty strong as a couple again. She says that they made love more in a month than they had in the past year. And so guess what that led to? Baby. Yes. And she talks about her pregnancy you know, being pretty good. She loved eating. She ate anything (laughs) she wanted and she felt no guilt about it. And she says she exercised all the time and had plenty of energy. And Ed did great too until he began working on his next album. And that's when the drinking started again. Mm -hmm, Of course. She said every time she heard an instrument being played, she would tense up because she knew it meant he was drinking. Valerie gave birth to their son, Wolfgang, who was named after Mozart, (laughs) on March 16th, 1991. For the first time in a while, everything was going great, but alcohol was becoming an issue again. There were more scary kind of outbursts. He was apparently flying women out on tour, though Valerie didn't know it at the time. Valerie focused on their son. She began going to therapy. A couple years would pass like this with highs and lows until one day Valerie hears Ed on the phone with someone being like, I'm not going to pay you off anymore. You sell the photos. I don't care. Uh So... Yeah, she confronted Ed about it. He confessed to bringing a girl into their home, and he let this girl take photos in their bed. No! Yeah. That woman did actually end up selling the photos to the press as well. But Valerie and Eddie decided that they wanted to work on their relationship still. So Ed started going to therapy, and they went to couples therapy as well. In therapy, he admitted to sleeping with other women over the years, and she confessed to her adultery as well. So... 
they tried to clean slate it and move forward. Yeah, and I was going to say she probably, like, because she held herself, like, so accountable or she had always felt so guilty about her adultery that she probably kind of let him slide with a little bit of that too, right? Probably, yeah, for sure. There's one part in the, the book that I'm not a fan of at all. She talks about being in London filming something and Eddie was there and a business associates of Ed's phoned the hotel and told her that Eddie had slept with his wife. And mm -hmm. she wrote, to this day, I'm more pissed at her than Ed, who, like a lot of men, was weak. <laughs> okay. Right? Like yeah. most women, she should have known better. We're wired differently. We need to act differently. No. That's not okay. Yeah, I'm with you on that. They can't help it, though. They're men. They're so weak. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Unacceptable. <laughs> so much of the 90s was the same again. Good times, bad times, hard times, working a lot. By the late 90s, though, Valerie was a lot more focused on her home and motherhood than her career. She stopped working for a while. She said she was really finding fulfillment and intimacy in other relationships. Like she met a lot of women who were also mothers from Wolfie's school. She Wolfie. calls her son Wolfie. So, I yeah. love that. Right. So she really kind of stepped out of the Hollywood scene and she began making real strong friendships, which was super rewarding for her. She started a book club that became this crucial part of her life. She says therapy really helped her come to terms with Ed's drinking in regards to the fact you know it's not her fault it's not her failure it's him you can't take responsibility for that right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. by now it was really taking a toll on ed's body though uh he had a bad hip that he needed surgery and that happened in 2000 they've been together for a while oh yeah wow i didn't know it was that long decades decades in 2000, Ed went to a dentist who noticed his tongue looked strange due to scar tissue from him constantly biting it. And he sent Ed to a specialist and it was basically like a cancer or something like that. And he was told, like, if you want to remain healthy, you need to stop drinking or end smoking. Yeah. You think he did? No. no. <laughs> so she says that he also refused to believe that cigarettes and alcohol caused it. But he blamed the artificial hip replacement that he had just gotten. Okay. Denial is a strong thing. Yeah. <laughs> he also had a second cancer scare later that year that didn't seem to scare him at all. And she would also soon discover that he was doing cocaine again as well. So at this point, she's like really torn between her love and her family and them wanting to be together forever. But like finally realizing like maybe we're better off not being together, mm -hmm. you know? She really went back and forth. By now, Wolfie's a little older. She began thinking about life without Ed. She decided to put more time into her career again, and she got a reoccurring part on Touched by an Angel. Oh! Remember that? Yeah! She, while working on that, also had met a man, another man that she kind of started to get close to, and she ended up cheating on Ed again. Mm -hmm. After that, began a slow and you know painful separation she moved out ed moved another woman in pretty quickly they're both kind of coping in their own ways her with food ed with drinking and partying it would take them a while but they did kind of try to find a balance for wolfie of course mm -hmm. she dabbled in dating which was a huge step for her and over time they really learned to communicate as both parents and friends in 2004 Wolfgang began touring with his dad 
And of course, she was super proud of that. And she would go out and uh, join them and watch her son and just be so happy. Mm-hmm. Ed was pretty bad, though, again, and he was having outbursts on tour and stuff. And she says that's kind of the first time that her son was a witness to it and understood, like, what she had been dealing with their entire marriage. So if Wolf was on tour with him, was he just, like, hanging out? Or no, he did was he in have the a... band. Okay, okay, cool. Yeah, he's a great musician, just like his dad. Okay. And, yeah, he was, like, I think, like, 13, 12 or 13 when he started playing with Van Halen. Awesome. Yeah. Ed and Valerie kind of finally seemed to have a good balance in their friendship. She says that she really hated seeing him not take care of himself, but she chose not to argue about it with him anymore because that's not her responsibility. Like, they're separated. So it got to a point where he would come over and feel comfortable sharing things. And she says that after two and a half years after they separated, they were finally really communicating for the first time. Mm. She says they spoke almost every day. And she had this realization that she would always love Ed, but she just couldn't live with him. Mm-hmm. And that maybe they were like a more like a brotherly sister love and friendship. So by this point, Valerie began another relationship with a man named Tom, who will become her next husband. She glazes over the next few years in the book, only really mentioning her weight being up and down. And her and Tom would do diets together. They went to Weight Watchers together. Nothing ever really stuck, but in 2007, Valerie got a call from the people at Jenny Craig. They had called before, but she was always humiliated by it and Mm -hmm. didn't want to address it. But this time, she accepted the deal. And she says once she did, she felt really excited because she knew this was a way that she would hold herself accountable and not quit and like learn to be healthy with meals and everything, I think. Okay. So her and her new man, Tom, got on it, and her friends also, and she had like a really supportive, Wolfie and Eddie were really supportive of it as well. She also talks about Christy Alley being a great friend. She was also a Jenny Craig spokesperson. Right. So she, they did it together type of thing. She goes a lot into that journey for people who are interested. Check out her book. It's all there for you. Valerie's book ends with her still on that journey. It was... Her book was published in 2008. I'm going to give you a little more information since then. In 2010, she landed a role in Hot in Cleveland. That show ran for six seasons. She married Tom in 2011, and they are still together, still going strong. She also published another memoir called Finding It, as well as two cookbooks. Oh. Yeah, ever since Hot in Cleveland ended, Valerie hasn't done any acting work because she's way too busy hosting multiple cooking shows on the Food Network. <laughs> and she even won an Emmy for her show on the Food Network. Oh, cool. She's so yeah. cool. Yeah. So I I hope that means that she's found a healthy balance in loving her body and herself and food and all of that, like, through this process. Yeah, kind of like Alice Carboni Tench, the healing through food journey. Exactly. Yes, yes. Of course, we know that Ed died October 6, 2020. Valerie's been very vocal about how much they miss him and how much like her and Wolfgang have been seeing each other and like supporting each other. When he passed, she wrote on her Instagram, 40 years ago, my life changed forever when I met you. You gave me the one true light of my life, mm-hmm. our son Wolfgang. Through all of your challenging treatments for lung cancer, you kept your gorgeous spirit and that impish grin. I'm so grateful Wolfie and I were able to hold you in your last moments. I will see you 
in our next life, my love. I must be like getting my period soon because I am tearing up. I watched this thing today. She actually recently went on um, the Today Show and talked about how people are like being mean to her online for grieving about Eddie. So what? People think that like just because you're separated or divorced from someone that like that what she's is she just trying to get attention? Like, is that what people are saying? What would? Ugh. it's so frustrating right? i wanted to add one cute thing that i know you'll love her instagram handle is wolfie's mom <laughs> she's such a proud mama i love it wait how old is he now 29 <laughs> <laughs> they obviously are very close and you know have this amazing family bond and he's wolfie's definitely keeping the music alive in that family all right well i will follow him online then yeah and wolfie's mom and wolfie's mom oh my god that was so good i really enjoyed that i was like you started to wrap up and i was like no i want more i could sit here for like another hour just listening to you i didn't mention uh eddie did also get remarried and was with her until he passed so maybe one day we'll we will do an episode on his second wife oh fantastic yeah. Okay, great. I'm definitely going to let my brothers know when this episode comes out because <laughs> um, every Halloween, my younger brother carves a Van Halen pumpkin. And I remember yeah. there's this one Christmas and I was reminded because I had this Facebook status that, you know, it's Christmas time with the Lemieux when one of your brothers falls asleep on the couch. The other brother blasts Van Halen to wake him up and then they both slam a beer. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I remember the pumpkin carvings. Yeah, yes. every year he does it. So good. Yeah. yeah. Tell him. I hope he enjoys this. Yeah. Well, that was fantastic. Thanks so much, Lynx. I couldn't do this without you, you know? Thank you. I can do it without you either. Well, good, because you're stuck with me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, everybody, thank you so much for listening. I hope you like this episode. Go check us out on TikTok at MusesPod. Hit up our Patreon, patreon.com slash MusesPodcast. And please leave us five-star rating and a review on iTunes. That'd be fab. I don't think we've gotten one in a while. Yeah, thanks, everyone, for listening and your continued support. And... We'll be back next week. See you next week. Bye-bye. Muses is researched, edited, and produced by us, Chantelle Mew and Lynx O'Leary. Have you ever watched a futuristic sci-fi movie and wondered, but wait, could any of this really happen? And will I live long enough to see it? That's what our show Hypothetical is about. I'm Carrie Bechet, and on this podcast, we ask what-if questions about the future. Like, what if we could read minds? What if the world's digital data was erased all at once? What would happen if the Yellowstone supervolcano erupted? Then we explore that question two ways, through speculative science fiction and through dialogue with brilliant scientists. The result is a genre-bending narrative that's interwoven with real facts provided by literal geniuses. And, spoiler alert, a lot of the science fiction out there, it's not nearly as far-fetched as you might think. Come time travel with me into the future on Hypothetical, 
New episodes on Tuesdays available on all your favorite podcast apps. Just search Hypothetical. That's H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L.